for self-destruction, part two. The industrial revolution and poisoning of Faulty assumption number six, man is a machine, both God and machine. His mind is a God, his body is a machine. And assumption number seven, society is a machine comprised of big parts like countries and companies and smaller gears like humans, animals, and the new man-made technologies like the train. First developed in the early 1800s, while the steam engine allowed us to extract energy faster and more efficiently from the earth, giving rise to the factory and the factory worker, increasing the efficiency and productivity of the manufacturing of goods and the labor of humans, the train, itself powered by the steam engine, allowed us to travel at impossible speeds. The first public railway opened in 1825 in England. It transported passengers and goods at speeds that they had not evolved to travel at, but that we found very convenient. Our legs weren't moving, but our bodies were. There was no horse beneath us, which would have made more sense. It was just pieces of metal and wood. Previously inanimate objects now seemingly infused with an animated spirit. What was going on? What is all this? What is this machine? This gave humans, especially the British, a big power up. But it soon spread to the United States, across Europe, and eventually to Asia, Africa, and the rest of the world. Meanwhile, steamships began chugging across the oceans, facilitating international trade and travel, And within about 80 years, we would have both the automobile and the airplane further accelerating this trend away from using our body at natural speeds and entering machines that could teleport us to lands and teleport items to us in ways previously unimaginable and in ways that the deeper unconscious parts of our brains and bodies still cannot fathom or make sense of. Technology began to really outpace biology. These technologies themselves, including the newer electronic digital ones that we have today, aren't necessarily dangerous in themselves. The dangers really lie in our sudden natural ways of living that we've been used to for tens of thousands of years or more. That was all breaking apart. We were breaking further away from our natural selves, becoming aliens within our own bodies, actions, and lives. We were transforming into machines. Our mechanistic worldview held for the past few hundred years at that point was becoming a reality through and through. There was no escape. Everything, including us, began to be treated like a machine. Industrialization led to cities so that people could live closer to the factories where they could work longer and harder hours in ways that didn't make sense to the animal body or human spirit. The God, the beautiful human God spirit, was being sucked out of so many poor souls. That energy 
was extracted and reallocated and stockpiled in the corporation, aka the pockets of a few powerful men. Capitalism arose at around the same time, the mid-1800s, separating the worker from the products of his work and then given scraps of paper or metal instead to trade in for necessities that he previously got pretty much on his own and luxuries that he didn't really need. Work, work, work became the new human motto. Feed this economy, feed this capitalistic machine. And if you don't want to work so damn hard, then why don't you become an owner yourself, why don't you? Can't afford it? Don't, don't got enough time or energy? You tired? You tired? That's what I thought. Get back to work. Capitalists, the rich, the owners became the new gods and whatever made them more rich was deemed good or the right thing to do. We had a new morality, code to live by, whether we liked it or not. The new game in town was own the capital, the money, machinery, buildings, and materials, or be the capital, the resource being used to produce goods and services. The world's pieces were getting resorted once again, now between the haves, i.e. the masters, the gods, the owners, and the have-nots, i.e. the slaves, the servants, the machines. Children also around this time were getting put in school so they could become better workers and so their parents could go off to the factory or sometimes too often perhaps they too worked in factories themselves. Before all of this, children were learning in more natural and intuitive environments in ways like as an apprentice or through private tutoring, if their family could afford it, or from their parents, church, or community. But no, that would no longer cut it. Learning how to live as a living human organism and to function and provide within a, a small community was no longer valued. It was no longer enough. The world needed more. The world needed machines. I mean, um, workers, uh, employees, upstanding citizens, excellent students. These little people, these future workers needed to be trained, learning subjects that served the needs of the new industrial society, math, science, engineering, and technical skills, not the ones that taught you how to feel like a real living human being or how to do real work. Farming skills? Not necessary. Art and music? Uh-uh. We don't got time for that, little boy. Crunch these numbers, learn these words, take these tests to make sure you're ready to be shipped off to war. Uh, uh, we're shipped off to, to work, I meant to say. There weren't a lot of textbooks before this school, this new modern school, divided thinking into individual subjects. We didn't just cram a bunch of random adolescent strangers, kids who didn't even know each other, into a tiny space with a weird cult figure in the front scratching on some board what's going on here this is not normal and we wonder why kids aren't interested in school can't focus they fight with one another we have we have put them in an environment that according to their evolved biology and psychology tells them to do just that to not pay attention to, to, to run around at least for now at that time they still had real untainted food 
and they didn't have all these medications that were getting thrown down their throats, uh, whether whether they liked it or not. You got ADHD? Take this. You can't sit down? Pop this pill. So yeah, they had kind of real food back in the 1800s, but <laughs> give that another 100 years or even less. That all too soon was beginning to change. Factories started pumping out cereals, biscuits, processed meats. The machines could eat the machines that ate the machines made by the machines. Even the cows and pigs started eating this fake processed junk. But it was only the beginning. It'd get a lot, lot worse as now we have seen. And instead of waking up with the sun and going to bed at the natural time, our sleep and wake schedules now became dictated by the schedule of the factories and schools. The clock of capitalism needed to work 24-7. And now, with the help of the light bulb, electricity in 1879, it could. We were already running on tight, train-like schedules, but now the hours of operation became theoretically endless. We work all day and we work all night. Hey, ho, hey, ho. Working hours got longer, cities got bigger, nightlife emerged, alcohol consumption therefore also increased, people could stay up all night at home on their days off, if they had any, and new hypnotizing, distracting forms of entertainment technologies could emerge. The phonograph in 1877 Movies, 1895, the radio, 1901, musical concerts and performances, amusement parks, nightclubs, dance halls, and galore. The world was a nice, beautiful, delicious, electric oyster. Life was getting tiring from all that work and school, but it was also getting fun, pretty fun out there. There were plenty of ways to distract ourselves from the pain of modern existence and alienation from our authentic living self to forget for a few rare moments that we are ultimately now a machine, living in a machine, separated from the natural environment we have evolved in and adapted to. Now stuck in a zoo, a world full of cages, some shaped like factories, some shaped like offices, some like schools, some like actual prisons, and some like a comfy little home for a comfy little life. It's no wonder that it was during the Industrial Revolution that Karl Marx and Frederick Engels began to rage against the machine, but they weren't the only ones. Others in that mosh pit thrashing around, but to no real avail or no immediate uh, success were... Henry David Thoreau, John Stuart Mill, Arthur Schopenhauer, and Frederick Nietzsche. They each realized that this mechanistic way of living, the productive life of work, money, urbanization, and material possessions was destroying us. We were not meant to be mere cogs in the industrial machine, producing too many useless things, resulting in too many wasted lives, trapped in the disconnected monotony of modern life. Civilization, driven by the relentless pursuit of industrialization and accumulation, has stripped us of the richness of the human experience, leaving us empty, unsatisfied, and removed from the reality that we love and know. 
the one that we, along with all of our little bacterium and mitochondria, grew up with. So at this time, the appearance of our movements became separated from the reality of our movements. We were no longer walking as, as much, but spending more time on trains, boats, and very soon, automobiles and airplanes. Our eyes, which evolved to detect light, so we know what time of the day and year it is, so it would know when to go to sleep and wake up, when to produce certain hormones, neurochemicals, etc., when to heal and repair the body and brain, when to eat, when to remain alert, when to relax, and basically every process in the human body that was and is still being disrupted by artificial lights. We no longer could relax in nature not so easily, living in harmony with it amongst the trees, the mountains, the animals, the grass. We can no longer smell that morning mist or hear those evening crickets. Instead, we were trapped in buildings that were getting taller and taller, symbolically escaping the land from which we arose. Waking up to the smell of smog and sleeping to the sounds of cars and motorbikes driving by, giant metal lions and wolves on wheels screaming in our eyes all day and roaring into our ears endlessly through the night. Cities and companies that never sleep full of new mechanical beasts, but we still needed to sleep somehow. We needed a place to relax and feel safe in. Where was it? It was disappearing. And along with it, our sanity and health. Sleep took an even steeper decline once we introduced the TV into the house in the 1940s and 50s. These were the decades when things really began to take a wild turn. Newly discovered chemicals started protecting and comforting us. We had already begun the war against the sun, the war against our melanopsin cells, those cells in our eyes that detect light patterns with electricity, city lights, sunglasses, and sunscreen. But now... We were about to begin the direct battle against our bacteria and brain itself. Let's talk about this bacteria battle. Listerine was invented in 1879 and was originally used as a surgical antiseptic and sometimes for cuts, wounds, or to clean the floor. But then we started putting it in our mouth. It was promoted as a cure for halitosis in the 1920s, a word invented as part of the Listerine marketing campaign itself at that time. It grew in popularity in the 1930s and still is killing all the good bacteria in our mouth up until this day, disrupting digestion, uh, the production of various key nutrients and enzymes, and a lot more. These guys, these bacteria dudes in our mouth, existed for millennia, and now we were wiping them out. Another foolish act caused by our mistaken assumption that the world is divided into separate parts, that humans are therefore not bacteria, and that the humans and the bacterium are not part of a single interconnected system, and by messing with one piece, you disrupt the health and functioning of the entire system, or organism with the indiscriminate killing of bacteria inside and outside our body we really began killing ourselves during world war ii soldiers were slathering on 
chemical-laden sunscreen, providing a double whammy of preventing their skin from receiving vital energy information from the sun and, at the same time, poisoning their body with mysterious new chemicals, disrupting the skin microbiome, those friendly bacteria on our skin, and who knows what else, deep within our cells. Penicillin was discovered in 1928, and more antibiotics arrived on the scene in the 40s and 50s, essentially dropping atomic bombs on our gut microbiome, just as we were dropping others on Japan. We were also beginning to introduce plastics into our everyday lives. We started wearing it. Nylon was developed in 1935 and polyester in 1941. We began eating and drinking out of it too. Polyethylene, first produced in 1933, provided the material that would later be used to make plastic bags, plastic bottles, containers for food, containers for beverages, for household chemical and personal care products, solid chemicals to carry liquid chemicals to put into our machines like our body machine. And if the body breaks, try this other chemical. We have just the thing for that. If all this modern life and man-made stuff is getting you down, we got a pill for that too. If it's driving you into the madhouse, we got a pill for that too. The 1950s marked the beginning of the pharmaceutical industry or culture as we know it today. The first two antidepressant drugs were developed in the 1950s. The very first antipsychotics too, to be used on those with supposed mental illness. Those who were not normal. Certainly many of those who were not obeying the machine. Who still had their freedom and their mind, their creativity, and their heart. And as many supposed problems that these pills were solving, they were creating just as many. They were disrupting the natural human system with its billions of years of self-sufficient, natural-running wisdom, disrupting the normal human system in unforeseeable ways. Yes, when you change one piece, you change it all. And do you really know how this whole human system works? I didn't think so. So stop tinkering with it. Stop trying to play God. Because when a pig plays God, things get broken. The whole farm can collapse. Rivers can run dry. The sky can turn brown. The bugs can buzz and buzz around in places they weren't supposed to be. And the eyes close shut. The brain flickers off. And until that day, while the system keeps running Yes, maybe you got lucky, that stuff fixed you, made you better, or maybe you weren't so lucky, and it busted you even further down. If you were a little sad or a little mad before, now you are truly sad, truly mad. This is also a time when fast food really got booming. Yes, we had drive-in fast food restaurants since the 1920s. For example, White Castle was founded in 1921, and that popularized the modern fast food hamburger chain model. And in post-World War II, the 1950s, the fast food empire expanded, as did uh, our waistlines. Ray Kroc opened his first McDonald's in 1955. Yeah, the McDonald's brothers had their own little shop back in the 40s, but now 
He was bringing it to the big times. You could wash down your new medications, antipsychotics or antidepressants, your new medications and multivitamins and all those cool little trinkets. You could pop those, pop those down the gasket and wash them down with a nice ice cold Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola was invented in 1886 and in 1955, the same year that Ray Kroc opened his first McDonald's franchise, he shook hands with a top executive at Coca-Cola and they began selling their soft drinks along with the burgers. White Castle did the same exact thing back in 1921, a burger and a Coke. Mmm, does that do the body good? Well, it does sure taste pretty darn good, but yeah. The first Burger King popped up in 1954. Old little Carl's Jr. had already been around since 1941, just a year after the McDonald's brothers opened their little shop in San Bernardino, California. Before, before Ray snagged it away. Jack in the Box, 1951. KFC, 1952. Hardee's, 1960. Arby's, 1964, Pizza Hut, 1958, Domino's, 1960, and Little Wendy didn't get her first shop until 1969. Poor girl, show her some love, won't you? Please go down and buy a Baconator or slurp down a Frosty. But a lot else would happen in the world before that. Wendy, wait. Things are coming for you. You might want to hold those pigtails and brace yourself for this one. Insecticides like DDT were being sprayed on crops, kitchen floors, and skin to keep the bugs away. Things like mosquitoes and all of those nasty little critters. It was really effective at killing a wide range of insects, but that's not all it was killing. It was killing wildlife, in particular birds, getting into our food supply and disrupting our hormones, causing cancer, neurological disorders, and immune system dysfunction. We became aware of all of this, finally, in the 1960s through books like Silent Spring, and and most countries began banning the insecticide, the pesticide, soon thereafter. The U.S., with its new environmental agency, the EPA, banned it in 1972, but it was then really just replaced by other ones, other pesticides, like organophosphates such as malathion or carbamates such as carbaryl and that's not even to mention all the other chemicals the herbicides like glyphosate being sprayed all over our crops the the ones put in our water supply like uh, fluoride and sprinkled and baked into our supposed foods and products the next episode, we'll get into all of that and much, much more. But I must warn you, if you're scared of things like ghosts and monsters, you might want to stop listening right here. But if you want to understand and free yourself from your Frankenstein skin, break out of that costume that's been thrown onto you, then come on back. Because there's more to this monster show. Oh, will they be getting bigger? Oh, will they be spreading? And you better run for your life and hide somewhere good. Because now, they're everywhere.